This is Jennifer Gonzalez welcoming you to episode 45 of the Cult of Pedagogy podcast. In this episode, I will be warning you about 10 ways to sabotage your classroom management. No matter how much we evolve as educators and how much we learn about how the human brain works, classroom management continues to challenge so many teachers. It's just a really complicated thing to get right. And so a couple of years ago, I was invited to write a guest post for uh, MiddleWeb, which is a website for middle school teachers specifically. And I thought, what problem do middle school teachers have even more than teachers in most other grade levels? And I thought, classroom management, because that is the age where it starts to become especially challenging. So I wrote a post for them called 10 Ways to Sabotage Your Classroom Management, because I thought, even though there is a lot of advice for what to do to manage a classroom well, there are a lot of mistakes teachers make that they don't even realize they're making. And so I put them together uh, into a post, and the post did really well, but I thought some people only listen to me on the podcast and don't really read a lot of the stuff that I have out there. And this one's pretty old and I thought it was very valuable information. So I decided to turn it into a podcast episode. So if you wanted to actually read the article, the original one, just go to cultofpedagogy.com slash pod and click on episode 45 and uh, that will take you to a place where you can find links to it. And also you can see a pretty cool infographic I made that has all these 10 uh 10 mistakes that teachers make. So go there and read it. Before I get started, because I'm going to just read the post to you and I'll probably stop and talk uh, every once in a while, but um, two things. One is thank you so much. Uh, Every episode, I just sort of remind people that I really appreciate getting reviews on iTunes from anybody who's been a listener and is enjoying it. And so after every episode, I usually see a little bump in those reviews. And so thank you so much to those of you who have responded to that that uh, request from me. And it just really, I love reading those reviews because they're just, I don't know, it just sort of helps me to imagine my voice in your car and in your earbuds and, you know, walking around with you in your in your lives. And it just makes me really happy to know that I am helping you with your teaching. So If you've already left a review, thank you so much. If you haven't, take a moment to go over to iTunes, leave a few sentences, and uh, and that just helps bring more listeners over to the podcast. So thank you. The second thing I wanted to uh, mention to you is if you are enjoying my stuff, but you have not yet joined my mailing list, I would strongly encourage you to do that because I know sometimes life gets really busy and you sort of forget to check in on the things that provide you with a lot of good value in your life. If you sign up for my mailing list, then what you get is a weekly email from me that basically just says, hey, here's what I'm working on this week. Here's my newest blog post. And I also will tell you about special projects that I'm working on. Um, Sometimes there will be a sale on the things that I have for sale. Sometimes I will ask people to complete a survey for me. It's just a way of sort of being a little bit more of an active audience member. Uh, And you also get access to my members-only library, which is a collection of free downloads. 
including an ebook that I wrote a few years ago called 20 Ways to Cut Your Grading Time in Half. And I know that time we spend on grading student work is a huge problem for a lot of teachers. And these are strategies that can be used by teachers of all grade levels. And so you would get that too, and you'd have access to um, a nice little handful of other free downloads. I've got something that talks about the tools I use to create videos. And I've got something called a new teacher checklist. Um, there's a couple of other things. So if you would like to do that, very easy. You just go to the website, cultofpedagogy.com, and click on the About button. And if you just go down to Subscribe, that'll take you to a little form. You just give me your email address, and that'll be it. And then we'll we'll be in more constant touch. And I have people that will sometimes email me through that, um, through those regular we- weekly emails. And it just helps me to get a better idea of who you are and what you need and what your pain points are right now and how I can do a better job of, of serving you. So, okay. So what I'm going to do in this episode is I'm basically just going to read this post and I will probably stop every once in a while to chat about things. But here are the 10 ways to sabotage your classroom management. You know the basics. Establish clear rules and consequences. Be consistent. Keep students engaged. But even with all that in place, the small things you do could be wreaking havoc on your whole system. Here are some habits you might have developed that are messing with your classroom management, along with more effective alternatives. So I'm not just telling you (laughs) how you might be messing up, but here are some things that you could be doing to replace those bad habits. Number one is smiling at the wrong times. This was a big problem for me. I thought my students were pretty funny people, so when a kid took those first steps to get us off track, I couldn't help but smile. And that just encouraged him to continue. The irony was that five minutes later, I would be yelling at the whole class for getting too wild. Just not very smart. So here's the alternative. Make a conscious effort to hold a neutral, on-task facial expression when you need your class to be focused. I still think it's important to show students that you have a sense of humor and you appreciate theirs, but everyone needs to learn that there's a time and place for it. Have a private conversation with your class clowns. Let them know that there will be times when you won't react to their jokes, and that'll be your signal that it's a serious time. And in a recent podcast episode, I'm just going to divert a little bit, not a podcast, but in a recent Periscope broadcast that I did, I answered a teacher's question about, you know, should they be a meaner teacher? And the advice that I gave to that was that it's not necessarily that a person needs to be meaner. And these are, I'm sure that there are people listening who have had kids or other teachers tell you, you know, you're too nice or you're not mean enough. And I really think the message there is not that you should be meaner, but that maybe there are times when you are letting kids get you off track or maybe not being firm enough. And the advice I gave was to, instead of thinking about being meaner, Think about being more businesslike. So more just serious, not wet blanket, not mean, not hating on the kids, but just neutral. Just I'm not playing around right now. We're going to get to work. And I think that that really can be very comforting to a lot of students because there's an adult in the room who is in charge. So be aware of how often you're smiling, whether it's that you're smiling when kids are getting off task or you're smiling at inappropriate jokes or you're just smiling because you're not that comfortable being assertive and so you're trying to soften it. Uh, it. It may help for you to videotape yourself and see if that 
that is possibly a problem. What I'm trying to do basically is take that rule about don't smile until Christmas and I'm trying to refine it a little bit because I think there is something to that, but I do think that some teachers take it way too far and they think that they have to be just horrible and mean and unhappy all the time and I don't think that's the case. But I do think kids need to know when it's time to get to work. Mistake number two is handling problems publicly. Addressing student misbehavior in a public way risks embarrassing the student. And if she is prone to being oppositional, she's likely to talk back and dig herself into a deeper hole. You retaliate, and before you know it, a full-scale war has erupted. Here's the alternative. Whenever possible, address off-task behavior in private. Some teachers silently place a post-it note on the student's desk to signal that a problem has occurred, and then they add a check mark for every, every subsequent infraction. Others will just speak in a quiet voice right by the student's desk, or they'll call the student up to their own desk. The method isn't terribly important. The way that you handle it, really the goal should be for a bare minimum of spectacle. What you don't want is for there to be a show that other kids then are watching because then you and that student have to save face or lose face. And that basically makes everybody start making poor choices. So if you find that there is a lot of conflict in your class between you and your students, or you feel like you have an out of control class, see if maybe that's one of your issues, that you, you keep calling students out in front of each other, and maybe a shift to handling things more privately could, could improve things. Mistake number three, all sound, no sight. Here's what I mean by that. So many behavior problems start with students simply not understanding what they're supposed to do. This is especially true when teachers only give verbal directions instead of making them visual. So a teacher will say, okay, I want everybody to go to page 63 and answer questions one through 10. And then when you're done, uh, I want you to get your notebooks out and, uh, you know, do, do, and they say everything in the air. And most students, and I definitely would have been one of these students, if I didn't have the instructions written down, I would have forgotten part of them. And if I had a certain kind of personality <clears throat> and my teacher had a certain kind of personality, they could easily read that as uh, insubordination of some sort or me starting trouble or me, you know, not paying attention, even though I heard the teacher and I paid attention, but that information's hard to retain. So the alternative to this mistake is easy. Provide visual cues for what students are expected to do. If you want them to do steps one through four of today's lab, then clean up their materials, then read silently for the rest of the period, go to the board and make a quick list. The list would say, step one through four, clean up, read. You don't even have to write full sentences. Simply writing those steps on the board will save you from having to remind students or reprimand them for not following the plan. So again, these most teachers are not making all of these mistakes. What's going to happen probably is that you'll hear this and you'll be like, I'm doing two of those things, I think. I need to look out for that. Or maybe I need to ask somebody if I'm making those mistakes. So if you find that students regularly are not following instructions, let's make sure that you have them written someplace for them to double check on because it's very hard for all humans to hold information in our heads or even to understand. If somebody gives me verbal instructions, I might not even understand them the very first time. 
the very first time. <laughs> I may not even understand on the very first time because I, that's just not how I process information. So as a teacher, I'm pretty sensitive to students needing some sort of visual cues. If it's a complicated physical thing that they need to do, I'd walk them through it. I would physically stand there and I'd go to the part of the room that says you need to put your paper here and then you need to walk over here. Even if they're 12th graders, honestly, their, their minds are somewhere else. Show them physically how to do it. You will just, the benefit of doing this, of taking this extra step is that you will get much greater compliance and you will not have to keep repeating yourself. Okay, mistake number four is not waiting for quiet. And I've actually addressed this in some other, other areas, but I feel like this is such a big one. When I observe teachers, I see this mistake more often than any other. They start talking to the class before everyone has completely stopped talking. Now, to be fair, they often wait until almost everyone is quiet, but allowing that last bit of chatter to linger causes problems. Students who don't hear what you say will either turn to a neighbor to ask or they will follow instructions incorrectly. It's easy to blame kids for being poor listeners, but the problem could actually be the teacher's timing. So here is the alternative. Before addressing your class, force yourself to wait a few extra seconds. It might be three, it might be five, until everyone, everyone is completely quiet. Now, I have had some teachers really resist this idea. They say, I, I'll be waiting forever then. Some of the, the onus is on you for this. There, you do have to make some effort to actually get their attention, but a lot of times we are in a little bit too much of a hurry. We'll get everyone's attention. They will start to get quiet, but those last few kids are still talking. Go over to them. Signal to them. Get their eye, get their eye contact. Do something so that those few, but wait until those last few kids are being quiet because what ends up happening is this, this sort of mushy, you know, constant flow of sound. There isn't this nice, clear demarcation between everybody's settled down and now the teacher starts talking. And it's just the most easy, calming way to get their attention instead of fighting for it all the time. And there are other strategies. I mean, use whatever strategy you take. If you do class, class, yes, yes, do that. But if there's that one or two kids who are still just like, blah, 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 after that, don't start talking over them. They're not going to hear you. And this isn't a matter of like letting your kids run the room. It's just being smart. You don't want to be trying to talk over them. So if this is something that you really do have a problem with, I'd say look for some other teachers in your building and observe them and see how they do it. Because a lot of teachers have different strategies for this, for handling this. But the big problem is just not even waiting for the quiet to begin with. Okay, mistake number five. Making students choose between listening and reading. And this almost goes in concert with the last one. When you distribute a handout to students, do you give them quiet time to actually read it? Or do you keep talking, going over it, and constantly interrupting them to the point where they can't process any of it? When you do this, you guarantee that students will either skip over something important on the document or miss a vital bit of information that you gave verbally. The brain can't do both at once. I see this with handouts. I see this with teachers saying, okay, let's all go to this website and, and read it. And, they, and all the kids go to it, and then the teacher just will not stop talking. So the kids have to choose. They have to choose between reading it and listening. Or you'll give a, an assignment. You'll say, okay, here's a, here's a prompt for our next, you know, here's the rubric. 
And then they start just talking and talking and talking and talking. And the kids can't decide, should I, should I look up? Should I look down? So, so here's, here are some ways that you can kind of force yourself to avoid this. If you have preliminary remarks to make before giving students written material, do your talking first, then pass out the papers. Once students have the document in hand or they've pulled up the website or whatever it is, Tell them you're going to give them a few minutes to read it and then be quiet. (laughs) If you must interrupt, have students turn their papers face down or minimize their screen or flip their iPads over or whatever, then give the announcement. Get their attention before you do that. You are saving yourself so much repetition of instructions and information. Mistake number six is only speaking in don'ts. If I tell you not to think about a hot fudge sundae, what do you think about? Yes, a hot fudge sundae. So similarly, if you tell a seventh grade boy not to tap his pencil, he still has pencil tapping on the brain. So instead of telling students what to not do, tell them something to do. Tell them what to do. These directives can address the problem at hand. You could say, Jake, put your pencil under your textbook until I tell you to use it. Uh, instead of saying stop tapping your pencil. Or just distract the student with another activity completely. Say, Jake, read number four for me, please. That way he has something else to do. So a lot of times if you have kids who have sort of problem behavior in some way, tell them what to do. If you've got two girls talking to each other when they're supposed to be working on a, you know, something, instead of saying, girls, stop talking, Tell them what to do. Girls, have you completed the second part of the assignment yet? Let's get to work on that. You only have five minutes. Tell them what to do. Or even, I need you to be concentrating on your work, whatever it is. Uh, This also, bonus of this, is that you then completely get to avoid the whole conversation of, I wasn't doing that. Yes, you are. I just saw you. I wasn't doing that. Forget it. (laughs) Forget telling them, you know, arguing with them about whether or not they were doing the thing you're telling them not to do. Just give them some directions of what to do. Number seven is taking too long. And I'll explain what I mean by this. When a student gets off task, an ineffective teacher will waste five minutes lecturing her about it. This not only makes you lose uh, valuable class time and valuable instruction time, it also annoys the heck out of the other students who are forced to sit and watch. It's not like they can concentrate during your diatribe. They basically sit and watch the show. Some of them are glad to. They're glad for the, you know, change of pace. But in general, you're, you're wasting everybody's time. So here's the alternative to this. Just becoming aware of this as a problem will probably help you improve it. Just keep in mind that you do not have to settle every issue right away. When an interaction drags on, just tell the student you will finish talking after class. You can even say, I need to meet with you after class. Um, And if the student tries to keep it going, you can just keep repeating yourself. We'll talk after class. Um, Because the idea here is that you've got this valuable time with your whole group of students. You do not want to derail everything just to be disciplining one student. Mistake number eight, staying up front. Proximity is a huge key to stopping misbehavior before it gets going. If you're always at the front of your classroom, you can't pick up on trouble in the early stages. By the time you notice a problem, it's already gained momentum, making it much harder to stop. 
So the alternative to staying up in the front of the room is move around while you teach. And this is, I mean, a lot of times we're told to do this, but I think sometimes it's more philosophical. You know, we need to be more engaged with our students. But the the side benefit of that really is that you get better classroom management. If kids know that you're going to possibly be in their corner of the room sometime in the next five minutes, they're way less likely to start doing something they're not supposed to be doing especially if they're used to. We know there are some teachers who are just have very high energy and just constantly are moving around. I'm picturing Ron Clark for some reason, though, even though I don't know if I've ever seen him teach, but I can imagine he would be this kind of a teacher who just is constantly everywhere in the room. So you're not going to be, you know, trying to like text on your phone or, or whatever because it's like, oh, he's always here. So And the thing is, you know, if you just do this on a regular basis and do it very casually, not in a way of where it's like, oh, I'm trying to catch people misbehaving, but you're just, you're just always kind of around, then they'll just expect that. It's not like one day you're suddenly all, all over them and they're like, what's going on? Why are you, you know, in my space? You're just kind of, you're kind of everywhere. This also helps to quell behavior that's already gotten started. So if you've got two students who are chatting in the corner of the room, you just sort of casually move over closer to them. Only your most rebellious, angry students are going to keep that conversation going if you're standing right there in front of them. They just won't. It's just physically, you know, humanly uncomfortable to have another person that close to you and continue to do something that they don't want you to be doing. Okay, so... Those were, I'm going to read the first eight real quick again. First one is smiling at the wrong times. Number two, handling problems publicly. Number three, all sound and no sight. Get your visuals up there. Number four is not waiting for quiet. Number five, making students choose between listening and reading. Number six is only speaking in don'ts. Number seven is taking too long with your discipline. And number eight is staying up front. So the last two mistakes that teachers make that sabotage their their classroom management are, number nine is focusing on the problems. It's natural to give your energy to misbehaviors, to only comment when something goes wrong, but you will get more cooperation if you give equal or more attention to the good behaviors, especially when it comes to students who have trouble with self-control. So... The alternative to constantly pointing out the things that students are doing wrong, obviously, (laughs) is to notice the things that they're doing right. And we've all heard the expression, catch them being good. Actually doing this, it, it takes some concentration. For some students, you have to wait a while before the desirable behavior happens. So Daniel, the pencil tapper, watch him. After you tell him to set his pencil down, does it stay there for a few minutes? Before he grabs it again, go over and say, thanks for keeping that pencil down. Nine times out of 10, that is going to lengthen the time it takes for him to pick it up again. You have given him some feedback. And the more specific you can be, the better. Instead of just saying good job, (laughs) which means almost nothing to anybody, specify something. If you're two girls who chat all the time, if you get started on an assignment and they work really hard for a few minutes, just go over to them and say, you girls are concentrating really nicely today. Just point it out. That gives a surge of good feeling in people and they want that to keep happening. So 
Just start noticing how much energy you're giving to the problems. And you know, some teachers who have challenging classes, they're going to say, you know what, I have only problems. You may have to get down to super specific good behaviors to really be able to, to make this happen. And don't be patronizing. You know, you're not going to be talking about, oh, great, you put your shoes on today. Great. I'm really proud of you, ninth grade student. Um, you don't need to, to patronize them. But think about the things that you're working on with them, the things that are, str- are challenges for them. And if they, if they can manage for two minutes to, to behave in a way that's consistent with the way you want them to be behaving, find a genuine person-to-person way of just saying, hey, I, I noticed this today. I thought that was great. And just be that, that straight up and genuine with them. And, and, I, and it really will make a difference. It will make them want to do those things more. Number 10, the 10th way that you sabotage your classroom management and I think this one is huge too and that's why I left it to number 10 it is taking things personally no matter what is going on taking student misbehavior as a personal affront can only only make things worse but not taking it personally is a lot easier said than done so here is an alternative this is a mental trick I used to help me step away from those hurt feelings Um, I would try sometimes to think of myself more like a service provider, like a dentist, and my students as patients. If my patient got a cavity, I would treat it as best I could, but I wouldn't take it personally. I wouldn't think, why did he not brush his teeth? Why do you know, you know, these kids don't care anything about, you know, they have no respect for me or whatever. What we are doing is working with children. We are working with impressionable, growing, changing, evolving people. And part of our job is to teach them how to be, teach them how to navigate. So when they screw up, which they do all the time, if we take it personally, then we really lose the ability to to teach them better. And that is our job. As dentists, we treat what's going on in the mouth. We treat the problems that the kids are presenting to us. We can't treat them as well if we're sulking <laughs> or overreacting because we think that this is some sort of a personal uh, thing. And And the thing is, if we're all really honest with ourselves, we do take a lot more personally than we think. You know, because we're there, we're doing our best, we're trying our best, we're preparing great lessons for them. You know, and then some days it feels like the kids just crap all over them. And it's just like, how? why don't you care about me? So if you can try to get a little bit more clinical on those days and just think, okay, these are my patients, these are my clients, whatever it is, I'm supposed to do now X, Y, and Z to serve them. It kind of removes you a little bit from the situation And that helps you to make smarter decisions because you've kind of taken your emotions out of it. Classroom management is so complex. It can take years to develop a style and a system that works. But by replacing these habits with more effective practices, you will build a better classroom for everyone. To read the original article published on Middleweb, or see the infographic that I created to go along with it, go to cultofpedagogy.com slash pod and click on episode 45. Thanks for listening and have a great day. This podcast is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. To learn more, visit edupodcastnetwork.com.